Good morning. Can everybody please have a seat? I'm Kim, and I'm thrilled that you're here. Thank you, David. You know, I was about 19. I was a lonely college freshman in a dorm. I was living in a dorm far away from home, and I went to visit a church there in Tallahassee, Florida, where I was introduced to a family who invited me to come to their home for lunch, along with my boyfriend, Steve was his name. And, you know, I loved that experience. They invited us over and over again, not just once. And, you know, the best part was not the meal. I don't even remember what they served us. It was sitting at their table after we finished eating because I was struck. These people were engaging with us. They were investing in us. They were asking us questions about ourselves. And, and, you know, it turned out to be um, costly to them because later my boyfriend then turned fiance. Well, he broke into their home and he stole valuable items, which he took and he sold. Yep, my fiance. Yeah, my selection process had yet to be refined. <laughs> Well, I wanted you to know about this couple because their names are Mickey and Diane. Mickey and Diane were so important to me as I look back in my memory because, you know, they were the first time that I realized the power of real Christian hospitality. See, I had nothing I could offer these people. They had no obligation to me or to my family. They simply gushed God's goodness onto me because they had experienced his goodness for themselves. And here's another reason they're important to me. Studies have revealed that 50% of college students who have a faith background will leave their faith during their college years, never to return. See, Mickey and Diane weren't just serving me lasagna. They were helping me make a choice to stick with the people of faith in my future. You see, they were instrumental for me through their warm hospitality. Even when my boyfriend ripped them off, they stuck with me. They did life with me when it got painful. Now, we're in this series about being known and being loved. And you know, those aren't just feel-good words. Through hospitality, it's really possible. But hospitality is one of the most underrated opportunities that we have as Christ followers. Even though hospita hospitality presents one of the most powerful venues where God-sized stuff can unfold. You see, long before the church had pulpits, she had kitchens and she had dinner tables. And what better place could there be to experience what our theme verse talks about than over a cup of coffee. It's printed right there at the top of your outline. If you'd like to grab that and a pen in your Bible, we're going to take a look this morning at what God has to say about hospitality. Right now, let's just read our theme verse all together right out loud. You ready? Go. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. Wow, that's pretty radical. Belonging to each other. But that's Jesus' way, doing life together. And you know, since the church got started, the house was a primary tool for doing life together. And God's plan is genius. 
The Bible teaches this thing called hospitality over and over. We're just going to look at a few of the many verses that we see in the Bible about it. Here's one where it's talking about the very first believers in Christ. It says in Acts, they worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. See, this is how the church grew. People were drawn to Christians because they were the ones who were supporting each other, who were hanging together and staying connected. And then in 1 Timothy, we, we read about what was expected of teachers and leaders in the church. It says, now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Paul is listing qualities that are important for church leaders. And you know, hospitality is right up there with being faithful and self-controlled. It's a big deal to God. Now look at this challenge in Hebrews given to believers. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Now, that's probably referring to Genesis chapter 18, when Abraham and Sarah entertained three strangers only to discover later that they were angels. You might think, angels, that's not going to happen to me. Well, you know what? There's a good chance it could. Because if you look into the language, the word angel there actually means emissary or messenger or bringer of good news. And when we open our lives up, to people. Sometimes the most unexpected people become messengers of God's love and his grace. Now, when Jesus was asked, name the bottom line, what is the most important commandment? This is what he said. Love God, love your neighbor. There it is. Jesus says that loving him and loving others are to be my highest goals, and that learning to love others is part of learning to love him. But what do we naturally think of when we say the word hospitality? I mean, maybe what it brings to mind for you is to make a fantastic meal and then take a proud picture of it and post it on Instagram to share with more friends, right? Well, there's nothing wrong with that. But the kind of hospitality we're talking about comes from a completely different place. Or when we talk about hospitality, we might think of a particular person in our culture. There's a face that comes to mind. Who do you think of first? I think of Martha Stewart. How about you? Yeah, no offense to Martha. I took a picture out of her magazine this week of a recipe I thought would look cool. But you know what? We're not talking about entertaining or fine china or skills in making a beautiful spread. For most of us, in fact, thinking about hospitality in those terms actually becomes a barrier to doing it. And to be honest with you, okay, just being real here, when I began to dig in on this subject, I found myself either overwhelmed, oh no, another duty to add to my already burdened calendar, or I felt guilty. I thought, What can I possibly say to my church family about something that I feel so deficient at? But I had to remember and realize that when I get crushed by guilt or overwork, that's not God talking to me, is it? 
The Lord is the one who says, come to me if you want rest for your souls. Jesus invites us. He doesn't browbeat us. In fact, I came across a quote that was so timely. It comes from John Mark Comer. He said it this way. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. I just heard him inviting me. See, I can talk about loving Jesus, but the question is, am I willing to let his lifestyle rub off on me? To catch a glimpse of his lifestyle? That's what he wants for us today. So I want to ask you guys, would you say no to the voice of guilt that's going to try to whisper in your ear that you need to do more? Would you do that? Everybody say yeah. Thank you. Okay, here we go. We're going to ask Jesus to allow his lifestyle to rub off on, off on us, okay? So let's describe first what are we talking about when we say Christian hospitality. Well, this description comes from Tim Keller, okay? He says it this way, welcoming people into your living space, into your home. Well, today's world, though, depending on your situation, it may not be the place that you actually sleep, where you invite people. What is a home after all? It's wherever you get recharged. For you, it may be a restaurant or a coffee house or the gym, or maybe it's here, your spiritual home. But when possible, it's really great when you can welcome them into your actual home because that's where they can get to know you. Now, they might say, oh, I didn't know you do woodworking or I didn't know you played trumpet in high school. And to me, you might say, I didn't know that you don't dust. <laughs> Ron told you recently about me that I have an aversion to dusting, okay? Well, it's true, and this is why. Have you seen this? Dusted once, it came back. Not falling for that again. <laughs> See, we don't have to have it all together, do we, right? In fact, I like this term. It's called scruffy hospitality. It's what a priest named Jack King calls it. It means you're not waiting to have everything all put together before you invite a friend over. Scruffy hospitality means you're more interested in quality communication than you are in the impression that your food or your house or your lawn makes. And Jack says this, we tell our guests, come as you are, but maybe we should tell ourselves, host as you are. I like how Renee Schlepfer put it. That guy, he's a pastor at Twin Lakes over in, in Santa Cruz. He's so helpful. What a great teacher. And he said it this way, it's not about inviting perfect people into, my, into your perfect home. It's about inviting imperfect people into your imperfect heart. See, that's what we're talking about is our hearts. Hospitality of heart. And that's the capacity to allow another human space to be imperfect and still be welcome. Even if they're strange to us. And that's the next part to consider. Okay, hospitality means welcoming people into your living space. And here's the next part. Treating strangers as family. Strangers. Now, in the Bible, the Greek word for hospitality is actually philoxenia, and the philo comes from phileo. You remember there's a city named after phileo? What, what city is that? 
Philadelphia, yeah. And then xenia, which means stranger. You've heard of xenophobia. Well, philoxenia means love of the stranger. It means to choose to welcome into your space and into your heart someone who is strange to you. It may be their political party or their ethnicity or a different life stage than you or a different lifestyle choice. Now, who do you find strange? Have you heard of RCOs? That stands for Repugnant Cultural Other. <laughs> That's the way one author described people who are strange to us. I thought this little kid's face just says it all, right? Most of us have an RCO, some person or group that we just call those people, right? We might think, I don't even want to know them. They're just repugnant. Who is your RCO? Don't say it out loud, okay? Maybe it's Democrats or Republicans or the NRA crowd or blacks or whites or gays. You know, like when you look at your neighbors and you just think, their dog is so out of control, they must be meth dealers. <laughs> See, the challenge, though, in hospitality is to make room for the stranger, not only in my world, but in my heart to allow a person's space to be who they are. And I like how Thomas Merton put it. He says, the beginning of love is the will to let those that we love be perfectly themselves and not to twist them to fit our own image. Otherwise, we love only the reflection of ourselves that we see in them. Oh, that's profound. Our hearts have to have enough space to let others have their own experience and be who they are. Now, Jessica, just leave that quote up there for a moment because I find this to be so profound. It resonates with me because, you know, it's not just RCOs that are way out there that might feel, feel strange to us. Maybe it'd be some workmate in, in our place of employment or maybe it's even somebody under our own roof at times that we find to be so strange. And the reason that it that it's so meaningful to me is that Ron and I just passed our 29th wedding anniversary, as he shared with you. Yeah, I love that man. And you know what? What I find to be the very best part of our marriage of 29 years is that he's done this for me. I know I can be so strange <laughs> to him. And what he has done is he's chosen to see the word will the beginning of love is willing ourselves to let others be who they are. And you know what it's done? It's, it's allowed me with Ron to feel safe enough to grow and become and change because I can be who I am in front of him. And I just wanted to mention that. It's a powerful gift in love to let others have their own experience. And you know, that's what God did with us. I mean, he loves us just like we are. God does not force us to change. He invites us. We're just describing here the welcome that Jesus offers to every one of us. So hospitality is welcoming people into your space, treating strangers like family. And here's the next part. So God can turn some into friends. Have you heard it said, Jesus is the unseen guest at every table? Well, maybe the truth of it is that Jesus is the unseen host at every table where he might say to you, hey, invite her to lunch. And you might want to say, what? She's part of my RCOs. And Jesus goes, no, 
know you're going to love her. See, that's the potential miracle in hospitality. This transition from stranger to family to friend really can happen, but it's only possible with intent and grit and sacrifice and God's supernatural help. Did you know that Jesus himself talked about scruffy hospitality? He says not only can you be scruffy, but that you should invite scruffy. And we're going to take a look at that in Luke 14. I want to tell you the context. Jesus has been invited to the home of a Pharisee for a meal. And in that culture, a meal like this was about status and networking. People even sat at the table in order of their importance to the host. You see, that culture was not a democracy. Everything was by classes, and the only way to get something done was to start at the top. So here Jesus was a guest. He's watching these people jockeying for a position, and he spoke up with a radically different way of looking at people. I'm starting at verse 12. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back. And so you will be repaid. Would you circle the word repaid? But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Would you circle that word blessed? Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, is Jesus saying, no more inviting your friends over? That that day is over. No, he's not saying that. In fact, what he's saying is kind of the opposite. He's saying, I want you to do away with this reward-based hospitality. You see, that's what the word repaid is about. It's like saying, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Jesus is instead promoting what could be called grace-based hospitality. To include in your life the ones who have nothing to give back. You do it just to grace them, not because there's something in it for you. So Jesus is looking at this Pharisee and saying, grace-based hospitality doesn't worry about payback. Or what, what's in it for you? Like in our context, if you had somebody over your house for dinner, grace-based hospitality doesn't ask the question, I wonder what kind of housewarming gift she'll bring me, or what's in it for me? Or if you invite somebody out for coffee, grace doesn't say, hey, I wonder how this guy is going to help me to the next level in my business. See, grace is free of that stuff. It just comes from an overflow of awareness that God has been good to me. Let me ask you, have you ever experienced hospitality that's just based on grace? Maybe you're thinking of somebody right now like I am, where you wished that you could repay their kindness, but you knew that you you couldn't. You see, hospitality is not trendy. It's actually divine. It's God's idea. You and I were once strangers to God. The Bible says we were even enemies of God. We had rebelled against his love and his rule. It says in Ephesians 2, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, without hope and without God. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near 
by the blood of Christ. You were a stranger, but God went after you and brought you near. And that is the theology of hospitality. But here's what it all means. Hospitality is at the very center of what it means to be a Christ follower. At the very center of Christianity is God making room for you when you were far away. And Jesus is saying, the more clearly that I can see myself as having once been a stranger to God and that I have just sat under the gush of his kindness to me, then the more I can see reason to make room to reach out to others with lavish hospitality. That's the catalyst that moves me forward to show love and hospitality toward others. And you know, that's when I get blessed. Like you circled in verse 14, because when love is shown, God is seen, people are changed, and you get blessed when you get to be a part of that. Rosaria Butterfield has written a book. It's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And her path to finding life in God was through the hospitality of a couple who just loved on her. They kept their door open to her for two years. They kept pursuing her in friendship while she was way out there. Rosaria had a PhD. She was teaching on the university level. She was a big shot in the world of academia, and she thought the Bible was all fantasy for those who lack intelligence. But she was invited over and over again by some Christ followers, and when she would get distant, they would reach out to her again. They, they didn't badger her. They would just say, we miss you. And eventually, she became a friend. She found life in Christ, and she is so changed that she says that the only thing that she's retained from her former life is her dog. <laughs> so being intentional about daily hospitality as a habit, a way of life, is Rosaria's thing. And I am finding this book to be so challenging. We have copies in the bookstore if you want to check it out. But I love how she talks in this book about building bridges of friendship to those that we perceive as strangers, different than us. And she gives us a warning. Sometimes she says it's easy to see people like they are projects. Oh, I can do this so I can convert them. You know, somehow that tends to rub people the wrong way. Jesus doesn't tell us to fix people. He just says, love them. We need to build bridges of friendship, and that's a process that cannot be rushed. Rosaria says, here's a quote, invest in your neighbors for the long haul. The hundreds of conversations that make up a neighborhood, stop thinking of conversations with neighbors as, get this, sneaky evangelistic raids into their sinful lives. Ooh. She doesn't pull any punches, does she? Oh, in Luke 14, Jesus tells a story to make this point. I'm going to start reading at verse 16, but I want to ask you to notice the verbs and just take notice of what is our part. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. Would you circle invited? At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited Come, for everything is now ready. Notice our job is to invite. 
But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. And another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. And the servant came back and reported to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them, compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Now, what Jesus is saying is, I've invited them. I've extended an invitation to to those who can't earn my love. And that is what I want you to do too. Invite them and then leave the results to me. Now, there's lots of ways that we can do this. But I want to share what one woman chose to do to build bridges to those around her. And I just found her story to be inspiring. How many of you have been to Austin, Texas? Let me see your hand. I want to go there. That's a place I want to see. And this video comes from Austin, Texas. I want you to see what this woman chose to do in her neighborhood. We've been in this neighborhood um, almost 10 years. I always knew we were supposed to love our neighbors because that's the great commandment. But how you live that out day to day is hard, um, especially when you don't know your neighbors, which is the situation I was in. I did not know my neighbors. Sure, I knew you know a handful of them, and so there was this huge questioning, what do you want me to do, Lord? Here I am, Lord, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to walk across the street and bang on doors? Do you want me to take cookies? What do you want me to do, Lord? God answers prayers in really winsome ways. I was hosting a party with a friend in our backyard and I didn't have any tables. And so I ordered a picnic table from Lowe's. And when it arrived two days later, I knew. I knew that for the purposes of the party, I was gonna have it in my backyard. But as soon as that party was over, I was moving that table in the front yard and it was gonna be a gathering place. And so I painted it turquoise, which is my favorite color. And I did, I put it outside underneath the tree in the front yard. It was awkward at first. I have this table, it's bright turquoise, it's sitting in the front yard, and now I'm like, well now what do I do? So I took a whole bunch of stuff out with me. I took my phone and my journal and my computer and I even um, I had some art stuff that I was working on because, you know, I needed to look like I was just doing something. By going out front, I was saying to God, here I am, Lord, your will be done. Go before, behind, and beside me into the neighborhood. And that very day, life changed. And I met a neighbor within three hours of putting a table out in my front yard. A lot has happened since putting the table out there. There are a handful of women who are now very close friends who I did not know. It has become kind of a gathering place. I'm Bob. This is my daughter, Peggy. (laughs) So one of the best things is just the sense of normal community, everyday life. The neighborhood kids come over. They'll do homework when the weather's pretty. We've had lemonade stands, hot cocoa stands. More intimately, um, it's a place where I can meet and have met neighbors um, who now pop by with coffee and just 
for 15 minutes, a, cup, a conversation over coffee that wouldn't have happened. The Lord has taught me and I am learning to be present. Um, that, it sounds like it should be a no-brainer, but listening is not um, a skill that came naturally at first to me, nor was being present. Great to see you. Wow. Isn't that cool? What I like is that since she made that video, she's written a book, and lots of people across the country have started their own turquoise table. Let it just inspire ideas, and that's what her idea has done for me. I find that God uses winsome ways, like she said, to help us on our own journey to catch his lifestyle. You know, in fact, I think we can just take note of some practical ways that we can practice hospitality. And she helps us with the first one. Right there, we can slow down and see people. You know, like she said, becoming present, it's not natural to us. Looking people in the eye. We need to learn from Jesus and slow our pace down. Because when we take life at a frenetic pace, we are robbed of the capacity to be present. You know, even when we're here at church, we can practice seeing people, right? Like earlier, we got to shake hands. I know for you sweet introverts, we love you. That must be a painful time for you. But there's a purpose, right? The purpose is, well, if you don't have a cold, if, if you have a cold, you just say, I have a, a cold. Here you go. But if you don't have a cold, if you're reaching out, you're warmly shaking a hand, you might be saying this. I was a stranger, but I'm no longer a stranger because God reached out and drew me in. And I don't have to worship among strangers. I can worship among family. You know, when we come into this church, if, if we're a new person, okay, we all have our own filter. And, you know, some people might perceive that we're a clique unless we all learn to see people. I want, to, I want to show you this picture. This is Christine and Cheryl. Okay, Christine's there on the left. She came here last year from Minneapolis by herself as a college graduate to, be, to do an internship. Okay, she said it was terrifying and that she was a lost puppy. Well, Cheryl, there on the right, met Christine at our 101 growth class. And she asked Christine her story, and Christine shared, and Cheryl was amazed at her courage and asked her, well, what do you do when you're not working? And Christine said, nothing. And Cheryl said, not anymore. And since then, they've been on hikes, and they've gone to lunch, and Cheryl has brought Christine into her home, and, and Christine's met her family and been included and been encouraged. And I love that story because that's what we hope that this place is all about seeing people. And the next thing we can do to practice hospitality is segue. That graceful word comes out of music. It means to move without interruption from one scene or one movement to another. And you see, as we invest in friendships, as we make space for others, then we can begin to segue from friendship to inviting. Segue. Maybe you can invite your friends to a Sunday morning or maybe to your community group or maybe to one of our many events that we have for the public to have an open door. Like this past Thursday, our women had this incredible um, time over in this room where, where they potted succulent plants. It was so cool. And they're doing it twice more this summer. 
we have so many of those events around here where we can segue. And then another thing we can do is simply serve in a hospitality ministry. Think about all the things that are going on around here. It's all built around hospitality. We have greeters, parking attendants, coffee bar helpers, maintenance team. We have Celebrate Recovery. We have office volunteers. Listen, we have need for children's workers, not only on a Sunday morning, but this coming vacation Bible school. It's our chance one week of every summer to extend hospitality to our whole community. Do you know why? Because they remember what their children come home and say to them about what they experienced at Vacation Bible School. And then our student ministry. Our student ministry needs people who are willing to invest in helping these young folks find their purpose, especially men. They need guys who will come alongside these, these young people to help them, to mentor them. And you know what? I mentioned earlier the college students. You could help us grow a college ministry at this vital time in those young lives when they're trying to decide which way they're going to go with their faith. We have an event coming up for young adults, 20s and 30s. You could join with us and be hospitable. We have the jail ministry, the Eschaton outpost. It's a chance for us to bring the church right into the walls of their facilities. There are many ways to practice hospitality, but listen, here's something to stop doing, okay? Stop aiming for perfection. We already talked about that, but it bears saying again, I was so challenged by this message that I had to bust through a voice that was screaming at me about a new neighbor down the street that said to me, well, if you can't take a proper welcome gift, then don't even go meet him. And I just said, oh yeah? And I stomped in my kitchen and I put some fruit in a basket and I wrote my phone number on a card and I took it over and I said to her, welcome to the neighborhood. And she couldn't believe any, anybody came at all. Now, what's next? I don't know. That's in God's court. But we need to stop aiming for perfection and do what we can do to be inviting today. Let God take over. And then lastly, most important, we need to stay rooted in God's hospitality to me. We need to do, like Ron said, the very first week of our series, we need to practice the platinum rule. You've heard of the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Well, the platinum rule says, do unto others what has already been done to you. What has God done for you? Well, for me, even though he knows me completely, every dark place that I keep hidden from others, he has loved me completely and sacrificially with a love that bleeds and dies for me and conquers death. And so that's the overflow from which I get to love others. That's where I must stay rooted. This is what Jesus said about when you show hospitality. He says this, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. See, when you think on that, you might say, this is crazy. Jesus, you're saying that when I fed that hungry person that that was you? And he was going, yep, that was me. And what he's saying is when hospitality is done right, hospitality of heart, making space and seeing people and welcoming them in, when it's done right, it's sacramental. It goes way beyond hosting. It's like 
communion. It's like a holy event. It's like being known and loved. And you know what I want to do? For the rest of my life, I want to be a conduit of God's hospitality to others rather than a self-decaying cul-de-sac. See, I want to use my money, my things, my home, my church home as a way to bring as many people as possible in to experience God's hospitality for them. I want to finish well. I learned that Mickey died in January, that man who, along with his wife, welcomed me so warmly all those years ago, who stuck with me when my friendship became really inconvenient to him, who helped me realize that I was loved and I was valuable. And Mickey's obituary reads like a man who finished well. His life was poured out for others, and it won't be forgotten. My life bears witness. You see... No one who succeeds at love fails at life. And no one who fails at love succeeds at life. You just never know what your welcome and your prayers will do for someone. How God will move when you invite them in and hold a space so they can be known and be loved. Let's pray together. Lord, we just have to say thank you for making a space for us. Thank you for your welcome. What grace. It really is amazing. When we could do nothing to earn your favor, you came and got us, Lord, and we thank you. We ask that you give us eyes to see those who are lonely. Help us to remember what it's like to be lonely and help us to open our hearts Lord, help us to see how we can be sacrificially welcoming to others, those, even those that we find to be different or strange to us. We pray for courage in those moments to invite them and to trust your spirit to do something eternal, to do your miracles. And we thank you for loving us so. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.